Hello and welcome to I've Never Seen, a podcast where myself, Stephen, and my good friend Albert. Hello. Um, and hopefully guests at some point um, watch a movie we have not seen before but should have seen before um, and then have a conversation about it. Uh, we're going to try and work in pairs of movies, I think, to kind of like widen the scope of the discussion. Um, what do you understand the criteria to be for the kind of films we're talking about, Albert? Oh, I'm really bad at this. Um, <laughs> honestly, you know, the criteria is like films we like, maybe, or, or we, we feel like. We might like. Exactly, which is a very, very bad description of a list of loosely related films. But I, I think maybe they're sort of statement films, something along those lines. Landmark films that are known that yeah. you are expected to have seen or be aware of. Yeah. And there's usually some kind of, I don't, mm, like a sort of external relationship of the of the film, and maybe the context it, it's yes. made in. It's had a sort of broader cultural impact than, uh, you know, the average film. Yeah. Or, or we presume yeah. that it has, and maybe we watch it and find out that it has not. Yes, exactly. Um, we'll, we'll find out. We're going to talk about two films today, which you'll know what they are from the episode title. Uh, but we'll get to that later. This being the foregrounding episode. Um, we're going to introduce you to us because you don't know us actually if you're listening you probably do um, so I was like we should talk about our general taste in film and Albert had the better suggestion which was describe the other person's taste in film yeah. which is I feel like it's quite a challenge <laughs> mm. um, shall I do you first yeah go for it all right um, Albert um is a fan of older cinema primarily maybe <laughs> yeah i mean not always um definitely goes more towards the off the beaten track more challenging films um and likes films not in the english language quite a lot yeah i mean i'm not even really sh- yeah yeah which is very very vague <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think you like you like stuff that are I think go back to your phrase that are statement films of this is a thing that's either revealing something or saying something about a topic um, that really get under the skin of something and maybe that you learn something from or see something in a different light. Basically, on the spectrum of pretentiousness, I'm a ten. Stevens about seven. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think Albert makes me look like I like mainstream movies. <laughs> Yes, I think that's <laughs> almost almost there. Yeah, not entirely. There are there are some great uh, I don't know uh, more mainstream contemporary films that I really like. Uh, we were just talking about Noah Noah Baumbach. Oh yeah, uh, really mainstream contemporary filmmakers like Noah Baumbach. He is, isn't he? He's got like he's I got mean, the stars. He's got the stars in the. He, he does the have films. he does have the stars, but I think we're talking about different kinds of. <laughs> we're talking about the film crowd mainstream as opposed to the I'm gonna go watch a Marvel movie. Oh, well, I mean, okay, but there's, you know, even in mainstream, there's a spectrum between yeah. Marvel and like, you know, Ladybird or Little so, Women. Do you so, know what I mean? like, so much of the audience, <laughs> they're like, hey, I like those movies. I'm like, sorry, I didn't say anything about it. Hey, I like it's some of them. You. Yeah, some of them are good. Um, I'm not going to make any comments. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's uh, let's uh, try and summarize Stephen's taste. I think I'm very easy to which... summarize. Which are sort of, I don't know, a universal sort of cornucopia of sight and sound, 
basic? You can describe your taste as basic. I do read Sight and Sound magazine, so I guess that's Okay, that's true. Yeah, that's yeah. Um I actually would say that you are much more accomplished in terms of uh knowledge about film. And to get to that level you have to see everything and you have to be open to much more types have, of films than I have. Wasted more of your time. Potentially, but I think it makes you I don't know, better at sort of judging uh, film uh, than me, probably. Mm, we'll um, find out about that. I feel you are more dis- <laughs> you, are, you are more discerning than I am. <laughs> yeah, plus, I mean, you would have seen a lot of gems, which I assume I just would have written off straight away. True, 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 true. Um, I mean, have you seen um, Castle Freak? No, I've <laughs> it's never not, even heard of that. It's not a gem. It just okay, it was I just see. the first movie that came to mind that I thought you probably haven't seen. And it was on my shelf. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to go through your letterbox thing, yeah. and even sorting by five stars. I'm like five pages in, and there's five. There's still five stars. I like five I, pages in. I, I like to give out five stars. I don't like to give out half stars. So everything. Can I up. just can I just challenge you on that? Like, why right. why are you so easy with your five stars? Ah, uh, because I think that five star ratings star ratings basically mean nothing. Um, five means I just think it's it's brilliant. It means I think it's a brilliant film. Four is I think it's great. Three pretty good. Two bad. One abysmal. What does that value judgment really mean? Like, what is like, what does good mean to you? Um, that's a good. I, I don't know. I don't. This is why I like to keep it to just like increments of I'm not that interested in the discussion around gradiating different levels of good and bad. I'm more interested in talking about the film. Um, and but I, it's very much more a reflection of my viewing at the time and what that viewing kind of left me with. Was I left being like, wow. Or was I left being like, okay. Okay, so it's like a raw impression. Yeah. That you, yeah, okay. It's not too, like, I don't know, cerebralized or whatever. It's no, just I like, mean, I, 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 keep, I, I keep really a film like this film. Yeah. In which I review every film that I watch that is a new release, and I don't put ratings on it for that reason that I don't want to. It's yeah. all just text. And I feel that is very thought out. And if you want to see the rating that goes to that review, you can look at my Letterboxd account if you so wish. But they don't even really correlate that much because sometimes I'll be like really in praise of a movie and then I give it actually like four and actually be more critical of some of the aspects of one movie and give it like five. So who knows? So I actually think the two films we're discussing today, Blue and Salo, are yeah. perfect for discussing this idea of oh yeah, uh, how do you value how, of value in films because both push the medium to new limits i would say and they're sort of seen as very conceptual yeah uh, and i think it will be, in fact i think despite me being reluctant to rate both of them i think by the end of this podcast we should try because yeah. it will lead to a natural interesting conversation about what makes a good film and why you think it's a good film whether whether enjoyment is like a really important part part of it which i for me probably not i mean i didn't did you enjoy both of the films that we I, I think the word enjoy is very nebulous because I think like I think enjoy links too much to fun for me, um, yeah. and I don't like saying a film is entertaining as being like the key features for it, even though it is entertainment. Because like a lot of the movies that I love are not enjoyable films at all. I think if it if it has a positive impact on you, be that you got something out of it, even if it was really really sad, that's a process that's worth having. I don't think I enjoyed either of these movies, yeah. but. I really enjoyed having watched one of them. Yeah. And one of them I found was really profound. And the other one, I'm still unpacking what I think about that movie. I think I know, but I wanted to have a conversation about it. 
And so I think so. A good starting point is a film's value in relation to the individual, whether we mm. liked it. But then there's also the second level of a film's value in relation to many individuals and society. Which... These films are both clearly very influential in different ways. Um, yeah. One on a shorter scale because it's relatively recent. I mean, I guess it's not um, because it's a while ago now. It's like almost 30 years old. Um, so Derek Jarron's Blue from 1993, I believe. Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Or 94, maybe? I'm not sure. Not yeah. sure. Um, and the other, and um, Salo is from the 70s. 75, 75. which is the year that Pasolini was murdered also. Yes. Yeah, because it came out three uh, weeks after his death, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was reading around that. Um, interestingly, on my other podcast, plug for my other podcast, um, I talked about a film today also from 1975. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Which which one? It's a movie called Late Night Trains, and it's abhorrent. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, this is a good way to sum up your taste. You like horrific I, films. I like horror movies more than any other movie. I really like horror movies. <laughs> I like what I call extreme cinema. Um, okay. I'm really yeah. interested in films that push a boundary. But then I'm also weirdly prudish at some points. I don't know. I'm strange. Um, I will get on a high horse saying that a film is too much. But then I'll also watch some movies that other people will just be like, what? Why would you watch that? Yeah. I um, think Salo's such a good mm. conversation piece for that. Yeah. Because I, don't, I really don't know where I feel we should like sort of uh, be on that sort of I don't know, judgment thing where it's like, can you, if you enjoyed any part of it where you were like, even if you found it like a bit funny because it's a bit crude, like, you know, it's a film made in the seventies. It's not, yeah. it doesn't have like the production standards of like a Tarantino film or whatever. Oh, and yet I, a Tarantino I dislike that that's film... your pull for production standards. Really? Yes. Yeah. Wait, what do you mean? Um, uh, I don't know. I, the, the Tarantino style is so, aping other filmmakers who i like so much more and ironically is oh, no, ap I, I is, is aping the 70s um, i mean in terms of resources and like you I mean, know yeah, how true. far film making has come since the 70s that's the only thing i i mean by that i don't mean that it's you know it's a gold standard for like how how to make films i just mean like yeah especially in the visual depiction of horrific things i feel like tarantino films if anything are much more graphic and are much more vivid mm. than Salo mm. ever was at any point. You know I mean? So it's kind of an interesting thing. <laughs> on a thing. violence level, yes. On a, which is, This is where it gets into a weird thing with me about my film taste. If there is a divergence for me about um, films about violence and films about sexual violence, and I notoriously do not like films about sexual violence um, okay. or about sexual assault, um, with some exceptions. I mean, there are some films that I think are excellent that deal with it very, very well. A recent film that I absolutely adored was Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale, um, which is... I've recommended that to friends and they stopped watching it half an hour in. They were like, why did you turn to watch this movie? And I'm like, oh, right. keep going with that film. It's like the first half an hour is unbelievably tough. Keep going. And I even right. took my partner Emma to see it at the cinema, having not seen it before. And I was just like, Emma, you might hate this movie and be prepared for me to like it. And at the end, we both really liked it, thankfully. Oh, but it's okay. a ridiculously tough watch, but because it, it, it treats its subject matter very, very seriously. And I'm also kind of like, most films about sexual violence are about sexual violence done towards women. Most. Right. And that's... most films about sexual violence done towards women are directed and written by men. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. The Nightingale is not. It is a uh -huh. film from the female lens about sexual violence towards women by men. And it knows what to do with its camera. And it knows how to present things and how to involve it in storytelling. 
So that actually reminds me of like that Italian painter, Artemisia Gentileschi, whatever her name is, because she was one of the few painters from the Renaissance period, which was a woman. Mm. Um, and the depiction of nudity and violence in particular is very interesting because you take away the male gaze and you get something totally different. You get sort of raw kind of, well, a lot of it is quite angry and raw passion, uh, which it's very interesting to see, especially that painting where you see like the popes leering at the woman. And it's so interesting because like ordinarily in the Renaissance painting, you just see these like, I don't know, just scantily clad figures mm. or whatever but in this one you literally also get the male gaze in the painting it's that's, amazing that's really interesting it, it, i i listened to a um hannah gadsby podcast about manet um and i think it was i could be wrong and i I'm, I'm i'm not much of an art historian i'll be honest and my partner is um but she was talking about hannah gadsby about one of the things of manet's painting was that he did nudes that people did not like because they were realistic nudes and they weren't these beautified forms of goddesses and showed things that were imperfections in the female form. Um, which, again, is that interesting point of how bodies are displayed, especially naked body in art. Um, and Salo, Salo, sorry, I keep wanting to call it Salo. Um, Salo, there is a quality throughout the entire film where it's very clear that everyone in the film has been picked for aesthetic reasons yeah what yeah so it's yeah definitely and i actually think which is part of the argument but i feel the film is not as separate from the argument as it wants to be what do you mean by that um solo falls to me into a camp of films that make me uncomfortable of are clearly criticizing a thing but Mm -hmm. in their criticism have to do that thing in a way that it's hard not to compromise that criticism oh no 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 i really disagree there Really? Because I was, I remember reading a review about The Wolf of Wall Street, like Wall Street, the Scorsese was it, film. Was it my review in which I said it's trash? I don't, no, I don't <laughs> think so. No, but so basically, before I'd read the review, I was in that camp where I was like, this is a horrific portrayal of the worst excesses of capitalism, whatever, blah, 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 blah. How can it be so, like, jubilant and happy and whatever? Yeah. But then I read this review and the guy says something along the lines of, oh, well, you want to see reality as you want it to be, not as it is. And it's just, you know, Scorsese's portraying the excesses of finance as they are. And to I... be honest, like some people, that's how people act, you know, in the, in that world or whatever. Mm. And you need to see it in a, this authentic kind of way in which the characters, you know, there's some... There's some truth to it, you know. That's, some... that's where I disagree, um, because I well, I don't disagree with your point because you are undeniably correct that these things do happen. But for me, it's the positioning of the story and it's whose story that you tell. And why I think Wolf of Wall Street is a despicable story is because they only care about that side of the story, and it's never a story of victims. And this is so right. much in okay. media; it's always about the perpetrators of things. And yes, these things happen, but they happen to people, and we don't care about their stories at any point. Which can come back to Nightingale. Nightingale is a story about the victim and is about them. I mean, it's a rape revenge movie. It's a very prestige rape revenge movie, but it right. is that. Um, and that is a genre which is mired in scum, and most of the movies are terrible. But it it focuses on the victims of crime, which I think we as a society don't do enough. And I have long like I don't like true crime stuff for that reason, which I know we've talked about before. I'm not interested in showing the excess. I'm interested in showing the critique of the excess because that also exists. But I actually think that 
the conspicuous absence of the victims in Wolf of Wall Street is a correct depiction of the conspicuous absence of victims inside like Jordan Belfort's mind. Do you know what I mean? So to some extent, it kind of has to do that. Otherwise, you wouldn't be so revulsed with Jordan (laughs) Belfort for not having any kind of thoughts about the victims, etc., etc. Which goes back to, I don't want to see his story. That's not a story that interests me. I don't want inside of his head. I'm not fascinated by then him. I I'm not compelled Scorsese, by him. Then I think Scorsese was successful in what he was trying to do. You don't want to see it. And I think that's what makes it... Yeah, because it... I'm also bored by it because it's a three-hour movie. That's true. That's what's so true. And I also don't think it's that great <laughs> okay. of a movie. Yeah. All right, so back to back to Sarlo. For the record, I like bored, a lot of Scorsese you... movies. <laughs> were you bored by it? No. No, okay, not at that's, all. that's a good start, I suppose. No, I was, I was not bored by Sarlo at all. Um... I there were bits of it what I found difficult to watch. Which bits? Um. Oh God. Um. The I'm trying to like I was about to like not beat around the bush of like spoilers, but who really cares at this point? And if you don't, don't know what Sarlo is, like do the I research. Don't think, I don't think people are going to be worried about spoilers <laughs> and Sarlo. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's already a film you need to experience. You know, you need, you need to cut off those spoilers going in. Cue um, the angry YouTube comment comments. <laughs> you spoiled Sarlo for me. I can't believe you spoiled it. You got this. no regard for the. What do you mean they eat human feces? <laughs> Look, man, Pasolini just has a thing for. Um, all right. Here's a thing. Human. He does something to excrement. Um, <laughs> Right, here's a thing that I want to talk about this movie, about a thing that I don't like about it, but maybe I'm off base here. So I want you to, this is a tentative read. Yeah. Um, I think films, and it's it's not only film, but a thing that annoys me of the use of certain things to imply extreme or taboo in a way that I think is deeply regressive and stupid. Um, this film's obsession with anal sex as a taboo is somewhat grotesque to me. But don't you... Th- okay, but okay. Pasolini was like a gay guy living in the 70s. And I yeah. think he was just expressing something about the society in which he lived in, which he felt personally very strongly about. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I get that. but And maybe it's the culture of film that surrounds it, but I feel that too much, and I feel that the people in this film, it's used as a provo- provocation for the worst of all sins and to to demean people. But I am. I mean, it is a reflection of what it's coming from. Yes. And. <laughs> but it's. But it's. I don't know. It's, but it's like, when do you watch the film? Do you watch the film now, or do you watch the film in the nineteen seventies? That's a very good. That's a great question. That. On. I. Yeah. I don't know. Because it's, I have no idea. Me watching the film now, I'm like, oh, it's another movie where it's like, oh, anal sex, and I'm like, yeah. Actually. Blue is definitely a film you have to watch in the 90s, though, because you can't take it outside of mm. the AIDS epidemic and all yes. that kind of stuff. But I think that's because it's... Um, yeah, that's really, that's interesting, because I wanted to make the argument because it's tied to personal experience, but then this yeah. is also tied to personal experience. I think Blue is so much clearly... Um, it's, it's an essay. It's so clearly someone talking to you about their experience that it's impossible to separate it from experience and it has no charged imagery because it has no imagery apart from the singular image whereas Salo can't escape the exploitation movies of the 70s that surround it that use the same things it does for different reasons and you don't think it's a meta commentary on those exploitation films Um, Salo because it's so difficult to watch and because the tone 
It's I so it different. Is. It's so different from those films. I think, I think. It, I, and I think it is a commentary on those, but I don't know where that makes it stand qualitatively. Right. Um, what? Okay, no, no, well, hang on a second. Wait, don't you love Hanukkah? Yes, I love right? Hanukkah. And this is one of his favorite movies. Don't you think Solo? Exactly. I, this is so in the vein of his films. I can't. It is. I, when it I is. was watching it, I was like, this is a better version of his films. I'm sorry, but it just is. It's just so, I, like, oh, it I, gets to the point so well. Uh, no, I... I think the reasons why I like Michael Haneke films are not maybe the reasons why he likes Michael Haneke films. <laughs> he being Michael Haneke. Of, I mean, the the text this is closest to, obviously, is Funny Games. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought of instantly. When yeah. I was, oh, yeah. Which is the second time I've talked about a podcast about Funny Games today. Um, and Funny Games, I have an interesting history with because it's a film I watched at university and hated. Yeah. Um, and then I watched it again recently and loved it. Um, and it felt like a completely different movie. Like, I couldn't believe I was watching the same film. And I didn't, I'd imagined bits of it in my head, and it was so not the film that I thought it was. And maybe I would have the same experience of Solo, which would be really interesting if I was yeah. to watch it again in the future, how much a film takes on its own ownership in your head. But when I went to watch Funny Games, I was sat with my mate AJ, and I, our stipulation was, let's watch a messed up movie, and I hear this movie's messed up. And we weren't expecting a movie that would be telling us off for wanting that. Um, <laughs> well then it was exactly you know. so at the time I was at the time I took against it because I was just like you don't know me movie shut up and I watched it again being like oh movie you do know me <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah. for me funny games um, I, I feel I, I wanted to write this essay and I never did about um, Benny's video and funny games about watching Haneke movies in 2019 then and how they feel different to me because Michael Haneke films are mostly about the moral decay of society, yes, but there is a technophobic element to them. Um, there is that idea of we're always seeing our lives projected and reflected and all this horrible stuff is happening in the world that we hide away from and we should confront. Um, and that stuff is a bit tired now. I think the idea that we're always being watched and the news is always rolling does not bite like it did when those films were new. Sure, that's but, probably true. But the thing that does bite about those films is the protagonists from Funny Games and Benny's video... When I'm watching those movies, I'm thinking about those stories about those white college kids, usually American college kids, that go on rape trials and get away with things. That class of privileged individuals who can just do anything and will always get away with it. And Funny Games is that film for me. I focused more on those two central characters who just even that quite hackneyed bit which i do love of the rewinding the film giving those characters control of the film that you are watching of they can literally just do anything because of who they are i find fascinating i didn't i thought that honestly if you just had that one remote control scene mm -hmm. you could just have like the entire film it just i felt very much like it was a bit of a gimmick you know that like i didn't feel like that with Salo. Yeah, no, I, I, Funny Games is a more gimmicky film than than Salo. I just, I there is they're going for different things, um, though they are yeah. they are similar. Um, they are both trying to confront the viewer, one explicitly, one implicitly. Um, but I think the things that Funny Games is kind of, I think maybe it's a prescience thing. I think the things that Funny Games is talking about, I think hold up better in 2020 than the things that Salo is talking about. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Why? Why? Just elaborate on that um, a bit. 
it depends what you okay what do you read Sarlo as primarily being about oh so many the reason why i kind of like it is because it has so many layers but like it's not just about saying okay so we're not going to read it at a face value level and there's the sociological level where you're exploring power dynamics there's a psychological level where it's both the you know the worst nightmares and the greatest desires of the bourgeoisie in one film it's a very interesting there's so it's many it's a like, very interesting film such a maze of a film you know like it's uh, but then it is also very one note it is like you could also i feel that you could take any scene out of any scene from zalo and that's like i would have got pretty much everything it has to offer really yeah any single scene? no i disagree i think you'd have to pick a, a... you'd have to pick a specific scene um but I like towards the end of the movie i'm like yeah i get it <laughs> but do it's you... gonna be this and i understand that making me keep watching it is part of it but i'm just like mm-hmm. okay yeah. here's an here's an interesting question do you think these films are more interesting to discuss than watch yes do you think that's a problem and no, is, there a pro- is, there, is there a problem for the medium i think because, it's a problem for the medium you know, if you take away the primary experiential you know thing about the medium what's the point do you know what i mean why not just write an essay because I, I think it was, that's, that's the art thing though isn't it of like the, the film and film is conversation and these are films that are made to be conversed about i think like it's a show because i have have you watched pasolini i have not i think i've watched two films i don't really remember it's been a little while since uh i've done that whole italian thing um <laughs> But I think so. I knew he was really political, and yeah. I knew I knew a little bit about how he operated and like about his life and stuff. I, this is um, my first Pasolini film. I really want to watch the film about him. Good start. Good start. Oh, yeah, Abel Ferrara doesn't, made. Doesn't uh, who's in that film? Willem Dafoe. Yeah, Willem Dafoe. I, can't, I couldn't believe that. That was hilarious. That was I want to watch that movie because apparently it talks. About, it's got stuff in there about him talking about Salo, which of course he never really got the chance to do because yeah. he was murdered um, yeah. before it came out. But I think like I, one hates to like animate the dead, but I think like Pasolini would be like, well, of course I want you to talk about my movie. Yeah, obviously. Like no, no, that, no, that's no, why it exists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember um, there's a an anecdote that Mark Kermode, the film critic, says about Lars von Trier, who I hate. Um, Lars von Trier talked about um, the film The Idiots, which I have not seen. I think it was The Idiots, um, which Kermode famously like stood up in a can screening and booed it. Um, and he talked to him later about a different film that he'd liking. And um, he said that I have to say that I really hated it from the idiots. And Lars von Trier said, OK, did you really hate it, though? And he was like, yes. He was like, good. <laughs> There's that sense that these people want an extreme reaction. And I feel that Pasolini would like people really hating Salo or really liking Salo. And if you were like, eh, he'd be like, oh. I think that's the power of the medium to, mm. to evoke something so strong yeah. and it's something that you don't get with other mediums even like you know novels or whatever yeah i think audio visual is such an interesting mm. you know collection of things and Which actually links to blue yeah no i was exactly what i was going to say did did you at any point switch off your screen from blue to seeing anything else or were you watching it the entire time because i think that's a really important point about the film I and something of... i would think I would encourage anyone who's watching this film, do not turn away. Yeah. Just focus in on the blue. Don't 
use I'm it as an auditory gutted. experience because it's meant to be an audiovisual experience. That's you know. Yeah, I'm gutted that I haven't from... seen this in a gallery. I would love nothing more than to sit for that hour and a quarter yeah. in a gallery and watch this movie. Um, I think my most like transcendent point with Blue was I I kind of like this sounds really wanky and I apologise. Um, <laughs> but I had like out of body like experience at some point where I like I felt almost meditative like. I think that's the point, isn't it? I, I it was I was looking at it but I was not seeing it anymore and yeah. the film was just washing over me completely and I yeah. caught myself like five minutes of like I was just in some just it was one of the um the music segments towards the end and it was one of the yeah, more yeah, like yeah. classical operatic moments and I just it had this just absolutely transcendent moment the funniest thing about blue I was watching on the TV downstairs yeah. and Emma came downstairs and she, and she just saw me staring at a blue <laughs> screen and at this point there was no dialogue happening and she went what are you doing and I said I'm watching a movie and she went no 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 what are you actually doing <laughs> and I was like no I'm I am oh, watching a so film great. and she's like that's no 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 so and we had this conversation for like two minutes until I was like I had to pause the film and be like no I, I am watching a movie because she was like that was so creepy <laughs> um, and I so had yeah. the same feeling that if she was to walk downstairs when I was watching Solo, oh, I was going to ask you mm, did she did no she? I closed the curtains to my house <laughs> really yes really? what about other films though so I asked you earlier whether this is the most graphic film that you've seen mm. have you ever previously closed the curtains so to speak <sighs> yeah, for other films? yeah. I, I, I don't know I watch all kinds so of like a... heinous stuff um, oh, it's a it's a regular occurrence. At yeah, the yeah, Gillespie yeah. House. <laughs> yeah, I don't want people to know what I'm watching. I run a podcast about banned films. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some stuff that I don't want to have seen. Um, it's I I don't know. I mean, maybe that's my view on Solo is slightly different because it's I feel the content of it. The things that happen in it, I could everything that happens in it, I could draw an analog to another film I've seen. Um. But the sustained tone of it was different to anything else yeah. that I'd seen. And I also, coming back to this uh, idea about depiction and comparing it to sort of contemporary standards or whatever, whether yeah. that's worth, I actually think the most unnerving, creepy thing about the entire film is the lady who's telling the stories. And I think it's a real testament to the power of narrative to, mm. to, to like disturb people because I that's really liked what, that. That's what like gave me chills. Like the other stuff. I don't know, like, maybe it's because we're all really desensitised or whatever due to, like, the effect of pop culture. Uh, but I think the other stuff, I feel like I've seen worse in yeah. most films, you know? I feel like I've seen worse um, only because I've seen films that, that ditch realism um, and therefore... And they but go that's, in... that's the MO of most films now, ditch yeah. realism for escapism, whereas Pasolini's telling you, no, that it's actually pretty horrible. Like, it's actually yeah. quite grim to do any of those things and you should feel that like you you can't just escape into this like sorry to sean tarantino or whatever i mean i'm, I'm not a big <laughs> but any, <laughs> anyway but like his you know his whole thing is escapism which you know i understand that it's an important power that the medium and has, i like but... a lot of escape cinema um but i also like cinema my escape cinema i think i'm more like when it, it grapples with the idea of escapism like your pan's labyrinths of the world that like yeah make themselves about that idea um anyway so yeah i was just gonna say that i think that it's interesting um just how unnerving uh the tone and the sort of narrative of yeah. the film is um so yeah um I, I, 
go back to that story bit. I, the reason I liked the stories, it reminded me of other films that I really, really like, um, where you think they're extreme, but actually you don't really see much, but you hear about a lot of things. That's and the often power... more powerful. That's mm. often more powerful. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I do kind of wish that I think I kind of wish that Solo was more that movie because I think it, it, it loses me. It does lose me because I, I don't really like it. It loses me during its more extent because I'm just like. I, I cannot get out of my head at some points that, yeah, but you just made this and just did this. Um, there's a scene which really quite repulsed me, which is fundamentally, this is young people who are framed as being children. The actors are not children, but yeah. they're framed as children. Yeah. Um, and there is one scene where there's just an old man going around groping people. And I'm like, yeah, but that did actually happen though. Yeah. And there are two moments like that. I'm being like, but this is happening. And I just, I don't like those bits of the movie. There are some bits where I'm like, that was effectively grotesque. The eating the feces scene, I think, is very effectively grotesque. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what I want to add to that. Um, it's, defi- it's definitely like... The weird thing about it is it's still like an art house cinematic depiction of I mean, eating yeah, feces. It's, it's not Pizza like... Ghost. It's like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not Divine Licks Poo off the floor. <laughs> I wish that it was. Hey, I'd watch Pink Flamingos again, happily. Um, but Yeah, so this sort of idea of sensory confrontation, which both films share, yeah. and are equally important to both films, um, I think that it's something that's really important and you don't get enough of uh, yeah. most films today. I'm not going to lie. Like The last time I would have seen a really good confrontational film... Actually, it probably was like a Haneke film. Yeah. Um, and have you seen his first movie? Which the seventh, one is that? The, the Seventh Continent. No. Because Isn't that supposed to be like the worst one? That's supposed to be like really horrific or something. It's. I watched that on a plane, which was a bad decision because I left <laughs> that plane just feeling so sad about life. Um, but that is a film. Um, in because Salo kind of like flits between being very visual and very talky. Um, in in a way that does work, but is not... I don't know. I don't, I don't love that too much. But, like, The Seventh Continent is there is so little dialogue. And you just slowly work out what is going on. And then halfway through, you know exactly what's going on. You're like, oh, this is... Oh, my God. Yeah. And I think Seventh Continent also benefits from being based on a true story. Um, I was talking to a friend about Salo. Because I, like, put up on a Facebook story being like, oh, watching this movie. Not looking forward to it. And a friend was just like, what is that movie? And I'm like, oh, it's this. And he goes, how do they deal with that content? And I realised, part of the conversation, he'd read the IMDb summary and he presumed that it was based on real life because he couldn't see otherwise why that would be a film. Interesting. Because I was, I just went, you do know it's fictional, right? And he was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> because there is that sense of when you're making a movie about the horrible things done unto fascism, there is enough horrible reality done unto fascism that to then make up your weird Marquis de Sade adaptation and also yeah. stick it under. I don't, I mean, I guess I don't know how I feel about that. Interesting. Why not? Um, because part of me goes back to context again of being like, what's well, Pasolini? And like, he had direct experiences with and lost family to fascism. Yeah. Um, so of course he understands it. And then there's a part of me that goes, I don't need these abstract metaphors for the impacts of fascism, I'd be much more shocked by demonstrations. I mean, you haven't seen Michael Haneke's The White Ribbon yet. 
Um, I really want to. I really that's been. On I my really want to watch that film again because I I liked I watched that movie in my I don't think I like Michael Haneke period, right. and that movie I was like maybe I do I need to watch it again now being a fan of him, um, because that film is definitely about the moral degradation of a society that leads towards fascism. Yeah, yeah, sure, um, sure. It's yeah, which it's is a precursor to Germany's uh, descent mm. into. Uh, historical aberration <laughs> let's just say but by but by, by sticking it's not historically based but it feels historical and i feel that works really nicely there whereas i don't know i at points in silo it's like am i the because i am revulsed by it and i'm supposed to be and that's fine but am i revulsed by the film or am i revulsed by the politics or am i revulsed by the analog or the metaphor or am i just having a visceral reaction to I don't that's, know a, image? that's a very interesting point yeah, because I think I was just I was just like that's a gross thing. I don't want to watch it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, knowing you, it's probably revulsion at the things inside the film rather than the film itself. Um, I, I don't know if you can even separate that, but I don't, yeah, yeah. To some extent, I think you can. Um, yeah, it's a really I mean, interesting film. I'm so glad I watched it. I did not enjoy it. Um, I'm really. Can I talk about the things that I did like about it? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, there are a few sequences that I, there was there was one moment which I thought was absolutely brilliant, um, which is you know the character who the whole time is just playing piano. Oh yeah, yeah. And then when she just kills herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that was wonderful. Like yeah. that was such, because I knew the film could not it couldn't do. God, we mentioned this guy too much now because I try not to mention him very much. It cannot do the Tarantino thing of being like, and you get your cathartic ending. It was never going to yeah, yeah. be they rise up and kill them because that would ruin the whole film. Oh, yeah, ruin yeah. the point of the film but it needed some kind of display of this is destroying these people yeah or, it needs some pathos yeah. otherwise it's just like this unrelenting assault and just because um, she was that unspoken presence she broke yeah. down at one point and you couldn't tell if she was actually breaking down yeah, yeah actually true, breaking true. down and that was really yeah. cool but that unspoken moment where she just everyone else is watching this thing and loving it and she's just there at the piano still and she just just says nothing walks out and just kill and takes her own life was profoundly powerful and that it does not show that it just shows her step and then it shows the body yeah to go from a film that wants to show you everything that it can because obviously it's simulated so it can't yeah. do everything yeah. to a film that chooses not to show you something was a powerful moment i think it shows that pasolini is not totally irreverent despite this film do you know what i mean mm. like there is some things for him which are beyond uh you know the greatest debauchery or whatever and i think you know it's oddly like optimistic in there's, some ways i think i like I mean, I'm, it's a movie you have to watch the entirety of because i really really hated it and at the end i was like there's some interesting stuff at the end that recontextualizes things and there are some clever shots at the end there's another it, it's quite a crass piece of symbolism um it's very martin scorsese um, yeah. who you know has seen this movie jesus christ oh yeah he's um, seen every movie man. i know he's literally he's like the biggest <laughs> cinephile he, he apparently Apparently he has a film just playing in the background, like at all hours of the day. Like if he's seen this trailer, he just has some film or whatever. He's literally like I, a I love Martin Scorsese. I, yeah, I, yeah. He's I do not like all of his movies, but some of them are my favourite movies. Um, so there you go. My bona fides and Scorsese, love him. Um, but there's the scene, a shot towards the end, and this sounds so abhorrent of when a group of people are in a, a literal bath of shit. Yeah. Um, and one of them cries out for God saying, God, why would you do this? Which is very on the nose, but it's anything to be said. But the yeah. camera is framing the shot so that you're seeing the door in and the door is flanked by um, Virgin Mary's. Yeah, yeah. 
and it is very much reminding you that the, the engineers of fascism use the iconography of religion and use religion all the time yeah um, yeah, yeah yeah and that it was a religious process and that is a good way of the film pushing that idea of being like the control that people have and how it goes outside of all of our coping mechanisms and the irony of people that would have religious decoration and be doing this sacrilege. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, that's true. That's very, yeah, that's very true. Um, so I very much agree with everything you've just said. And just to add to that, I think there are some incredible moments, like truly so clever. Um, one of mine, which is quite a crude moment, to be honest, because it's, it's very on the nose. But I think... One of my favourites is when one of the characters, I think it's a duke, maybe not. Uh, oh, I forgot the names of all these characters. It does, doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. I just got they the are just, it, it's, time to be or whatever. Yeah. It's, the fa- it's the fascists and the victims. Though I do, yeah. a slight point, I, I did love the opening credit sequence because I love that it, it came up with the casting groups of it could not be more a way of being like, these are a symbol for blah. They are the victims. And yeah. The, yeah. It's like, it, it's making, you know, this is a film in which these are groups. These are not identities. These are not people. They function as symbols. Can we just talk about how powerless the victims are depicted, which is, you know, that's pretty rare, I think, in film in some ways. They're very sort of yeah. like almost lifeless. There is no third act kind of like twist of yeah. they get theirs. I mean, as a fan of horror movies, because catharsis is a huge part of horror, of that idea of the horror gets assaulted at the end and there's a little tease of like it's still out there but you get that thing and you never get that thing in this they are utterly subservient which going back to the fascism stuff the film does articulate very well the complete control of fascism um and that these people what how they view others below them and how they could get with anything and just do it okay that leads me nicely onto what i was about to say about the character because i think one of my favorite bits is the quote from this character, which is, in all the world, no voluptuousness flatters the senses more than social privilege. Which, again, is a really crude <laughs> thing to say, given the whole context of the film. All right, fine, whatever. It's a very sort of... Yeah, that's a, it's a fun line. But I, I just love it because I think it's so... I know the film is so great at portraying pleasure's relationship to status, you know? Yeah. Even what we're doing right now, literally in this very podcast, is like an example of that. Do you know what I mean? Like... The fact that we're trying to, whatever, like, I don't know, distinguish ourselves from our larger film or whatever. So it's there. There is something very, very coy and sly about what the film is saying. It's it's interesting. I think my background is quite different to yours here because like there are things about my tastes I have to reconcile sometimes. Where I'm like, I don't get this. Like, I love violent cinema, and I also like erotic cinema. Like, I I, I like films about sex, um, especially films that present it in a skewed kind of way. Uh, that confront human sexuality like um, i love sex slides and videotape one of my favorite movies um peeping tom as well like up there favorite movies so, presumably Salo should be like a five stars for you then because it's I, literally ticking all of the right boxes. i know i, I can't I, I can't tell you how much you what you're saying is making me feel like you should love this film i know i feel like i should and but then it's just it just it doesn't work for me i just it was just a melange of things I did not want to see being presented to me because I did, I, I did not buy the reality of the film. Um, it seemed theatrical. It seemed like performance and it signifies performance from the beginning. Okay. And I have this a lot with cinema. Like I saw, did you, did you see the lighthouse? Yeah. yeah. What yeah. did you think of the lighthouse? I liked it. And I really love Robert Eggers. Yes. Yeah, uh, I liked his previous film. The one about yes. the witch. Is it the just witch. called the witch? Yeah. Yeah. It's called the yeah. Witch, yeah. 
that I love that man. Like, yeah, that same. was That's seriously good. Phenomenal movie. Um, <sighs> Lighthouse, I liked and I loved. Um, not Willem Dafoe, but uh, Rob Patterson. Rob, Rob Patterson's I, I character. I thought brilliant. his character was amazing. Like, I think he's brilliant. Like, so I think he's an absolutely brilliant actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I like you know deconstruction, masculinity, and all that kind of stuff. I think that's really good. Um, but it wasn't one of those films where like it's it's an instant five star kind of deal. Um, not quite. I, I think I had that. I had a similar thing with with the lighthouse. Of I went to see it and I was just like, there were two films that were going to come out that had already come out in America that I thought these would be my favorite two movies of the year. And they were Parasite and The Lighthouse. And I saw Parasite, I saw it a little bit early because I went to notice reading of it and I was blown away by it. I thought it was astonishing. Yeah. And I finally got to see The Lighthouse and I was like, this is this is such a me movie. I cannot wait. It ticks all my boxes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I was, maybe I was trying too hard to love it. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. It did not work. And I was trying to articulate why and I wrote a review about it. And I think what it comes down to is there is a theatricality to that film that yeah. I don't like in surrealism. I only like surrealist films when I think the film is real in and of, its, in and of itself. A okay. Razorhead is my favourite film, yeah. and the word of a Razorhead feels utterly bizarre, but it feels cogent to itself, and okay. it feels like an actual piece, whereas The Lighthouse felt like theatre, and it felt like symbolism. S- strung together. It was performance, and Sarlo to me feels like performance. It, okay. is, it is a film. It is so obviously a film, and it's parading stuff. And I think maybe because it doesn't have the trappings of narrative around it as much, it is a sequence of images there to provoke and to inspire thought in a way that affects me viscerally, but not emotionally and not, I don't know. So basically, I think think you've actually hit upon the exact sort of dividing line between us, which is that's everything I love about films. Mm. That kind of like cerebral... um, you know, stimulation or whatever. I do. Um, I, don't, I don't not like that. I just that needs to be with something else. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I like a heady movie. I like a thinker. To go, you know, I like to think about a movie, but I like the movie to feel like a work, not just a film. There we go. I don't know if that makes sense. It does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. Did you think that Blue was a performance? Because in some no. way, it. it no, you don't think it was. I, I, well, I guess it depends how you view the word performance. I felt that Blue was a slice of reality that... I mean, I think we should talk about Blue more because I think I thought it was a masterpiece. Um, genuinely, I it was not a film I was planning on watching, so I'm really glad that you picked it out. Um, awesome. I, I thought it was absolutely astonishing, um, and especially more towards the end. I had like a real strong connection to it. Because it does so much what I love. It does that thing which I love more in literature than in film of this mix of brutal realism and then yeah. high imagery, which I think is the thing that song does really well quite frequently. A lot of the lyricists that I like like mm-hmm. interchange metaphor and brutal emotional realism. Yeah. And Blue does that all the time. And I, I, I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm just a sucker for that. I just love that. Yeah. You definitely feel like you're going on the same journey as the character in the film, which is mm. very powerful, uh, unlike Salo. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes, actually, that's... I know, I know what you mean by that. Like what you were saying earlier about the theatricality, and like Blue is like so viscerally subjective, whereas Salo is very objective. I think I, I, I felt like I could not escape Blue. 
and I felt like I could, yeah, just, turn, yeah, yeah. I could just turn that, solo off. Definitely. I could just pause it and leave. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Um, and The Lighthouse, again, I was watching it being like, this is a film, and I'm thinking about this as a film at the moment. I feel like usually my reviewer brain kind of like clocks in afterwards, and then yeah. I dissect. And a film that trades too much of dissection in the moment, I kind right. of lose my grasp on it as a film. Okay. So basically, you don't like critic bait. I guess not. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I do. I don't, I don't, what, what, what films did you put under that banner? I don't really know, to be honest. I've literally like seen so few films compared to you. Um, uh, I guess some, yeah, Haneke films, definitely critic bait. But I love Haneke films. <laughs> love those, exactly, yeah, so... But, but oh no, still... Lars, Lars von Trier. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, going hey, back to Lars. Hey, hey, Lars von Trier. Because I think Michael Haneke films. His films are about people, and I think he captures people very, very well. All the people in his films feel like actual people. Right. And I think he is very good at capturing the human condition. He makes very emotional films about reality, which Salo is about hyper reality, and and I think the the subservience of the victims is very, very interesting, um, but it does diminish the reality to it as well. It is a film of constructed narrative in which people would play the roles they are assigned to play. Which is much like fascism. Yes, which is why I admire it. I don't admire fascism. That sounded really weird. <laughs> which is why I admire the film. Um, I mean, because you're right. But then again, it's like, I don't know. There's, are you familiar with Boots Riley? No. Um, Boots Riley is an MC, but he's also a filmmaker. And he made one of my favourite films of the last decade i'm sorry yeah. to bother you okay which you should see um it's a phenomenal film um, but he's also the the lead mc of the um marxist rap band the coup who are one of my favorite <laughs> bands um and he makes this point about um political art that political art needs to do more than just shine a light on a problem yeah it needs to reveal something and it needs to if it can give a solution or it needs to do just more than being like here's a thing and I don't know if my thoughts or feelings or understanding of fascism change from moment one to moment two hours of Salo. I think it does. Really? What you what you just said that you know profound little tidbit which which you were talking about constructive narratives. Mm. I don't think you would have come up with that without seeing the film. Well, maybe you would have, but I don't okay, know. I just I feel like it was prompted by seeing the film. True. So it, it does mm. un unveil some layer on how power and politics works yeah. and how important narrative is to that process. Oh, that's an interesting movie, isn't it? It's a very interesting movie. <laughs> I just don't like it. It's really interesting. I really, I, I admire it. Um, I just don't ever want to watch it again. <laughs> no, I don't think I'm going to do, be doing a second viewing. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh God, and don't read people's reviews on it. The user reviews are being like, because that also puts me off from being like, there is a huge market of people who just want to be edgy and love this movie. Oh God, I really want to see the letterbox reviews because I'm sure there's going to be like a real mix of literally person who has like absolutely no idea what this film is and just yeah. like whacking it on for like a date night or something being like, God. what the hell did I just watch? Oh, there's, but there's and so I... much reviews on there, which are people being like, the people that don't like this movie don't get it. Here's about, and I'm like, and it, it, it... I yeah, hate this about. I yeah, hate this about yeah. me, but I want to be like, no, I get it. I just don't like it. I do understand it. I'm not an idiot. Yeah. I got the movie. I can get it and not like it. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's important. Um, 
Whereas but I also, also but whereas yeah. I have also probably parried I have probably parroted that to other people about different films. Um so I've probably been on the other side of that. I bet it's gonna be a five star in, in a week's time. Uh, yeah, I'll probably watch I'm, I'm gonna log I'm gonna log on next week and be like, hmm. Five Solo. stars. Solo <laughs> has gone from two stars to five stars. How's I see like a one page review on the letterbox page just Stephen like gushing about fascism. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> hey, you know, you, you know what's a great movie about fascism? Starship Troopers. I would take Starship oh, yeah, Troopers no, so good. Over, yeah, over yeah, Solo. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, also, it's... The, the violence in Starship Troopers is more fun. <laughs> there we go. That's exactly the <laughs> problem. Mean, there That's is a part... exactly the problem. Uh, but the theatrical... I mean, this is interesting because like certain theatrical elements of film I love, and there is a theatricality of violence in cinema, which I adore. Um, but I mean, you know me, real world violence, can't deal with that stuff. Hate it. Yeah. Makes me uncomfortable. Um, scares me. Um, but very, very violent cinema. I like it. Um, but a lot of it for me is I just I like extreme things. Talking of extreme things <laughs> and extreme filmmakers, what oh, do you think about? Wait, sorry, we gonna finish that off? I thought I like extreme things, but I don't like Solo. You don't like Solo. <laughs> What Not... do you think about Ga- Gaspar Noé's films? Are we talking about today? Um, I've only seen this two. This is of one them. of his favorite films as well. Yeah, which was the, all right. I, I read the thing on IMDb, which is the three people that liked him. <laughs> that last movie, and I was like, well, yeah, that's the least surprising people. If you were to ask me, the three people that love this movie, um, those are the three people I'd have named, and Lars von Trier. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. So yeah, the, th- the three people were Michael Haneke, Gaspar Noé, and John Waters, and I was like, well, yeah, yeah. Whom, whom, I mean, I love John Waters. Um, I love Michael Haneke. Um, and Gaspar Noe, I've seen two movies by. Which which were? Um, I saw Climax, which I adored. Oh, yeah. I love Climax. I've seen that movie twice. Um, I think that's a fantastic film. Um, and I saw Enter the Void, which is... Um, for a movie in which a camera goes literally up someone's ass. that movie is really up its own ass. <laughs> It's yeah. good. It's a good movie, but it, it does not need to be almost three hours long. Yeah. I would love to play the VR game that is that movie. Interesting. Um, all right, so Blue has been underserved in this conversation. Um, That's true. I feel. Because, um, I mean, there is a lot to say about it, but there is less to say than there is about Solo. Um, because Solo has more to say about it than any movie I've seen in my life. Um the all right it's a movie and it's blue the whole time um what was the moment for you when the blueness made the most sense so okay it's a bit of a sort of you know uh obvious point to say but it's it's when he was starting to talk about his blindness more and yeah. more especially when he was saying things like i'm starting to hallucinate i'm starting to see things which aren't there etc yeah. etc and like the real visual distortion that he's talking about, you feel that because you've yeah. been looking at blue for like an hour into the film and you're like, okay, yeah, I, I get this, you know? And also the fact it's, it really dawns on you this, the sensual restriction that blindness can have mm. when you've been staring at blue for it, an it, hour. It adds that essential fear. Cause like you, you hear his, there's a point during the film where he talks about like how horrible his regime of pills is. And he yeah. goes, well, it's either that or be blind and you who have been limited so much you're like exactly yeah okay because otherwise you might be like dude like this sounds like your life is terrible you know 
but it, it, it's so great at, at bit of an understatement like <laughs> you, you know the guy's saying. literally dying from aids so like his <laughs> life is completely miserable but okay yeah. but it, it's such a good way of showing subjective experience and i was thinking yeah. of watching it of being like if this film had images it would not work because absolutely there are absolutely. certain things that you need to just be able to imagine and the power of them again to go to Salo, is not being able to see them and you hearing about this stuff and it, it allows for much richer and more unsettling imagery. It allows for the fluidity of imagery. And it but, also allows that your images... It's like when you read a book and then you watch an adaptation of it and you go, that's not right. The weird thing is, in Blue, you do see it. Mm. You see blindness. And I mean, that's very powerful for yeah. a filmmaker to do. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, yeah... The, the moment for me, which I think was the most profound moment of the film, and I said this to you um, via chat, was there was a bit about 20 minutes from the end where there was just one throwaway line. And I was like, it recontextualized the film for me of when he talked about um, the medical processes he was in, um, especially the um, ophthalmologist, I guess, yeah. um, that was shining this light in his eyes. And he said after the light had been shining in my corneas to like view on the spreading kind of like disease um it gives me this blue afterglow and then yeah. it fades yeah. and that for me it made it clear in a way that was not 100 percent clear it more like it more made obvious what sort of thing that this film is an illustration of the fact that the glow may go away but it's still in your mind you can never get away from your illness and your condition and yeah. by saying this is the lingering image and having that lingering image being the only image in the film you, i don't think you can get more perfect than that yeah it's yeah. a cinematic Agreed. technique yeah, it was, be- was beautiful. Yeah. Have you seen any of Derek Jarman's no, other this, films? No, this is my first Jarman, my first Pasolini. If he can do that with one frame, just mm. imagine what he can do with, you know, thousands. I made a note, actually. <laughs> I mean, I made the what is film note, but I don't think that's a conversation for now because, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's too wide. And it's. I remember being at, uh, in university and we had the what is film thing yeah. with Legette um, because that is still images and it's like if it's just still images is it still a moving image is just yeah. blah, blah 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 it's an it's an interesting conversation but it's not for now um a thing that i know i hate but talk about a lot um and has come a lot in this conversation um auteur theory yeah yeah, yeah. which is obviously bullshit mm-hmm. but why we but, well that's why blue is so interesting because it isn't with blue blue is auteur yeah it is an auteur film because it's a video essay. It is it is an art installation. Mm-hmm. But Salo, hundreds of people were involved in making that film. Yeah. And we keep being like this Pasolini movie. Um, and like it, it's easy to forget that films are is, is film is a collaborative medium, and that we do just like reduce it down to this is this one person's film, which I think is why Blue is very interesting because it's one person that legitimizes this is someone's complete self-expression. Yeah. Though there are some other actors that give voiceover. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to add to that. It's a very good s- summary of yeah. my thoughts. Auteur theory um, is kind of bunk, but it is useful, especially for the more like arty, intentional things when you know a filmmaker is trying to say something. Um, but it can be very reductive to be like, it's this person's movie. And like, well, the hundreds of people in that movie, but you know. Yeah. It's quite literally his vision. Oh, I see what you did there. Ba-dum. Yeah. 
Um, all right, we had a vague structure. And we kind of like uh, uh, we completely ignored it. Ignored it completely. Um, but at the risk of talking around in circles, um, give me your final take on both. These, give give me a little take on both these films. So we said at the start that we were going to try and force ourselves to actually you, rate I, these films. As because... a person that compulsively ranks every movie I watch, I also hate the ranking of movies. <laughs> I am Just gonna be, because... If anyone doesn't know me, I must be the most frustrating person to listen to talk about films, as I contradict myself in every sentence. We started this conversation by talking about the value of film and whether yeah. and how we can value films and why we should value certain films. These and are why two we value. hugely valuable films. You think so? Even if they're not necessarily sensorially enjoyable. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think that's the key takeaway, really, isn't it? So I think I would my favourite films don't valuable. exist without Salo, and I have to recognise that by myself. I've been like, yeah. so many movies that I love, like, this is their urtext to go back to it's a in terms of what you can put on a screen i mean the video nasty podcast i run i don't even like most of those movies i just love i love extreme cinema even when i hate the films because i love the idea of people just putting stuff on a screen and it being that films can be abhorrent is fascinating to me yeah um what, and, why do you like that because it has like such a the power of film as as the medium to actually affect people in such it's a... It's made up. It's, it's nonsense. Yeah. It's, it's right. not even real. It's an illusion of movement. Yeah, yeah. Like, none of it, it... It's complete artifice. But that we can be appalled by it and that we... And I do, because I mean, I'm a very, like... My style of analysis is very much from the Marxist school of look for intention and politics and everything. Mm-hmm. And I have a very moral way into film, but, like, film is... As a thing, it's a thing. It's amoral, but we, we come at it from a moral perspective. I really feel like you're slowly working your way towards giving this film a five star. Sorry, Salo. No, no. <laughs> All right. I just, blue... I so feel it. Like, blue I first. Okay, go for it. Um, and blue for me is a is a is a five star movie. I think it's I um, am very much a sucker for it's like nothing I've ever seen. That is such yeah. a big, and it's because I've seen so many things. Um, mm. I did a top ten films of the decade list and. I, I kind of I rushed the text on it because I very much just wanted to get a list out there for myself. Um, and pretty much my, all my descriptions were, it's like nothing else. This film's not like anything else. It's like a nothing else film. This film, it's new and different. Um, <laughs> and it's very powerful to learn that that's what I like. I like a thing that... My favourite movie last year was Bait, um, by a long way. Oh yeah, I've heard about that. That's like, supposed to be really good, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an astonishing film. And again, it's like nothing else I've ever seen. Um, so Blue, as conceptually for what it's doing i was already in love with it but then it's that lovely mix of it does a cool thing but the thing seems necessary and the thing seems perfectly executed you did the interesting thing and you nailed it no one should ever do this again yeah (laughs) i don't want to see another film that's just one image i don't want to see that it's been done yeah you You can't have like where's anderson's red can you (laughs) i mean like you can't really have like a imitation of uh these films i think i had a similar like feeling with um cleo from five to seven um, yeah when i was like i love this movie mostly because it's such a cool thing i've not seen before and i don't want to watch another movie like this but i'm gonna say this one's a masterpiece don't do it again <laughs> so that's my blue take your blue take my blue take for some reason i'm just looking at my ratings Can i think i gave this i gave this film a films? four star uh four star. i don't i'm not sure why though it was a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, I think it is one of the most powerful films I've ever seen, though. Yeah, I agree. It's so personal and vivid, despite mm. the lack of 
visual stimulation. Blue is the warmest colour, I hear. Um, yeah. So I think I might change my mind. I think I am going to give it a five five star. But then at the same time, there's some great films in my five star list. Oh, whatever. This is so, way. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just, just very. Let films have the same rating as other films. <laughs> it's an exclusive, Ugh. restrictive space. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. So. I'd say a tentative five stars. Yeah, um, it, it's it, it's an astonishing film. It's it, 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 all right. Should, I think we should say like, things. The whole premise of this podcast is I have not seen this thing, so we yeah. should end up being like, well, should you see this thing? Yes, definitely. Um, to if both. you have not seen Blue, yeah, well, you should have listened to this podcast. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, but you could have done. Like that's the thing with both these oh, movies. Definitely. I like, agree. Yeah, I feel like I've doesn't matter. I could listen yeah. to this podcast and have well, I could not because I'm in it. Um, but. <laughs> having not seen these movies and then would still get everything out of seeing them it doesn't matter if you know the premise of the plot in fact i think it sort of helps in, yeah. in a weird way yeah if you if you watch Salo not knowing what Salo is you would just be like this is crap you might be in for a bad time yeah which i've <laughs> and, had that and a, lot with of, movies. a lot of crap well that well that was my funny games experience i didn't know what that movie was i was like i don't like this at all yeah no i didn't right so moving on to the most controversial film of all time <sighs> Yeah, um, I don't like it at all. You don't like it? No. Interesting. I like it as an object. Yeah. But there's just things which, in it. Which there's... surely must mean that you just like it. I know, because there's just stuff in it. I was like, I don't want to see that on the screen. I just don't like it. Like, I talked about a movie today, like Late Night Trains, which has an abhorrent scene of sexual violence in it. And me and my co-host Adam were just like, just like, fuck this movie. Like, this is... There are certain things that I just... I don't want to see in a film framed in this way. Um, and there are certain images in it, which I, I admire how challenging he was willing to go, but it does not work for me and I don't like it. Yeah. And staying true to your sort of guttural reaction in your rating system, I think it's, it's important for you to just take it at that level. Whereas I think for me, Maybe even just for the memes, I might just give this a five stars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm arming and arring between giving it two or three. Like, a three, tentative two or three. three. You're, you're telling me one of the most important films of all time is going to be like a two yeah. stars on your letterbox. Yes, yeah, because uh, like there are films that I think are important that I don't like. That's like a, that could be a crime. <laughs> I think Breathless is one of the most important films of all time. It's not a film I like very much. <laughs> I think I am going to give it a five stars. All right. Just they're be, they're also because... saying that I think I gave the train that arrives at a station four stars. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I'm going to log in next week. It's just going to be like the most. I'm going to watch Salo every day. <laughs> I'm more than willing to admit that if I watched it again, I would probably love it. I probably yeah. would. Um, but I just don't think I ever will. And I also don't want to be. I don't want to be one of the people that like Salo. I don't want to be that person. <laughs> I don't want to have to have the conversations where like this. Is I don't I like. understand this. Like your whole niche is like the video nasties how no. can you be so afraid of people judging you for liking salo because i don't like it <laughs> it's not a good movie Albert. it's not it's <laughs> nasty things happen in it it's not nice um uh, i don't know so basically the reason i'm going to give it a five actually yeah. in earnest in earnest is partly because another film which i'd seen which i absolutely loved recently which is like hard to be a god i haven't seen the movie i want to see the movie please do it's similar not in the same no, i don't want to watch a movie 
not in the same way. I think it's it's more powerful than Solo, and it was quite obviously inspired by it. Yeah. Um, it's very vivid, very visceral, and gets at something so fundamental about human existence and human nature and power, yeah. which is what I think Solo does. And that's the reason why I'm going to give it five stars. Because when you're watching Hard to Be a God and you're seeing one of the characters do what they're God. doing, do what they're doing, you just feel this like guttural thing about all of the relationships you've ever experienced between humans. Do you know what give, I mean? You just give feel more, it. You, like, you really feel it. That sounds cool. I'm going to give a more like lowbrow recommendation. Um, it's only lowbrow because it's not a very known movie because it's quite recent that I think you should watch. And one of my favourite movies the last few years is an Australian exploitation film called Hounds of Love, mm-hmm. um, which I doubt you've heard of because it's, it's a... No, it's, I have it's, not. It's a very minor release. Um, but in terms... It is a film about sexual violence and about kidnapping. Um, it's nasty. It's a nasty film. It doesn't show you very much, though. Um, but as a film about power dynamics, I thought it was astonishing mm. about how power dynamics can shift in one scene between those in control and those out of control and it's so fluid throughout the whole thing and the very human want to suppress people and to have domination over people and how it explores that yeah um in a way that i thought was much more interesting than the very austere stylings of salo yeah right i see everyone should watch both films are we in agreement with that um, no i mean if you listen to this podcast (laughs) yes I don't think that everybody needs to watch Solo. There are some people that don't need to watch that movie. Yeah. They just don't. Like, uh, and again, it's back to the Nightingale. Of I had a conversation with Emma afterwards of being like, "That's a really important film." And it goes, uh, you, do you know anything about the film? No. All right. Only so what you've described uh, in this podcast. It, it is about colonialism, and it is about what the British Empire did—the colonial oppression of Tasmania. But it's about. Um, a war in a land from a people um, and a style of people and it very much deals with different kinds of oppression um, the main character, two main characters one is indigenous to Tasmania and is dying out um, and right. it's actually the first mainstream film to include their language in it mm-hmm. which is now a dead language um, and they they had so many people from the diaspora and from that culture who were involved in creative positions on the film to make sure that it was reflective of an experience. Yeah. And it, it, it is a film completely about um, British imperialism and the horribleness of that. And so many people need to watch that movie because we live in a country from an education system where I knew nothing about the British occupation of Tasmania. Nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's horrible. And this film, people would learn from it, but it's so self-selecting because it's brutal. But it needs to be brutal about brutal things. But I'm like, who is going to see this movie that isn't already going to go? Yeah. And right. I, I think it's a really hard sell. Emma thought it maybe wasn't, and maybe I'm just like selling it bad. I think I need to like leave. I, need, I think I need to stop saying it's a rough movie. It's really rough, but it's so rough. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> people need to watch that movie. They're never going to watch that movie. Whereas some so, people don't need to watch what, the movie. What you just told me actually reinforces my beliefs about giving Salo five stars <laughs> because it. it really reminds me of Heart, Heart of Darkness yes. you know what I mean yeah which and, and Nightingale is definitely like Salo is kind of the spiritual successor I'm, I'm just gonna put it out there I actually literally just liked liked it on Letterboxd so now like my top film is Salo anyway basically 
Um, <laughs> you come I... across as the most like edge lord person of Letterboxd being like, yeah, Sarlo. That's fine. You know That's totally fine. Sarlo. That's totally fine. Oh, no, I hate you right now. <laughs> anyway, Sarlo, I think, contemporary version of Heart of Darkness. I think it's an important yeah, film. Yeah, you've seen Apocalypse Now? That exists. Like... Oh, but I thought that was... I thought that was, like, such a bad spectacle of a film. Do you know what I mean? I know what you're saying. I don't know what your words mean. No. But I don't I like, like it. I, didn't, I, I didn't love like Apocalypse it. Now. No, I don't um, like it. And I like, like that long I'd, version. Maybe maybe you like it because, like, it's got this mythical status and it's got such a Hey, you I know, like it because it's goddamn and... good. <laughs> I don't know. I there, thought... are, there are Francis Ford Coppola movies that I didn't like very much. I'm not a big Godfather person. They yeah. are fine movies. Mm. Um, Apocalypse Now, I've watched several times and I love it every time. I, I liked the documentary more oh, yeah. than I liked mm. the film. I, think I don't know what that means. Maybe there, but that documentary but is just, exceptional. Yeah. It definitely... I don't know. It, it's got that same quality like Burden of Dreams does, where you're both in love with filmmaking and in total revulsion. You're like, how could anyone ever do this? How could yeah, anyone my God, have you seen this? The um, the doc- I forget what it's called. Lost in La Mancha. Uh, yeah, I've heard of it. I, I oh seen- God, because that was a film that I watched. I was like, how does any film get made ever? How do we make films? Films seem impossible. <laughs> Didn't that get stop. made recently though? Yeah, and I didn't go see. I, I, that makes that, that's got Adam Driver in it, doesn't it? Yeah, because it's a movie, and therefore contractually it has to have uh, Adam Driver okay. in it. Right. So okay. it's a new thing that films have. Um, it's a film I did not go see um, for a reason that maybe is obvious. Um, it's because Terry Gilliam is an arsehole now. I don't know anything about him, so maybe just give a oh, brief I, little I introduction. Love Terry Gilliam films so much, and I've been excited for this film for years, and it came out, and I just couldn't bring myself to see it. Um, because of his comments in the media recently when I was just like, oh, fuck you. Um, he's become one of those type people that I, I used to love because they were, um, like, they were like these, like, firebrand figures of, like, really on the edge of counterculture, really interesting. Yeah. And now he's just become a regressive arsehole of, he was in this interview and he was saying how he thought that white men were the most oppressed group of all time and how oh, wow. he should he actually identifies as a black lesbian because that means that he wants to get films made and the he says his reason for that was i like women's therefore i must be a lesbian because you can be whatever gender you want now um and he said that I, if you look up in like the yellow pages lots of people with the second name gilliam are black so therefore i must be um and i was just like i i don't want to watch another film that you make anymore god Okay, that that does sound awful, but I feel like it's slightly going off on a bit of a tangent from talking about Blue and Salo. Um, yeah. And I don't want to I don't want to get into a huge like political sort of I, terrain. I think all right. At one point, we'll deal with movies in which the people that have made them are bad people, and we'll have that conversation then. What do you think about um, Polanski films? Um, they. Uh, he needs to not make them <laughs> and we should not give them awards that was disgusting um, uh, yeah it's like um, alright Rosie's Baby is terrific yeah um, and uh, but then have you, have you seen Repulsion is that the one with Hugh Grant in it no no that's no, a different one okay no. Repul- no. Repulsion is 
is a movie that it's one of those movies where you watch and you go knowing what i know about roman polanski i cannot like this film oh god okay of, right because of what's in it yeah roman polanski movies chinatown and Rosie baby are excellent films um i cannot watch film of his about being uncomfortable and after a certain point i will not watch his movies right but you will watch those because i've seen them before yeah true okay um, but still like okay i saw them not knowing and like rosemary's baby like i've read the book and i wanted to see the movie <laughs> yeah fair enough well I don't with, know. With, yeah. No, with, with those films all right because they exist in film history um yeah i will watch them but i will never talk i will never not mention that caveat when talking about them right okay whereas if he makes a new movie i'm gonna just skip it i'm not watching the new woody allen movies that come out right i that's exactly who i was going to ask you about next i've what, loved like, woody allen movies because they're many of them are terrific but i'm not watching a yeah. new one and i feel bad for liking them mm. have you tried so, to watch manhattan again so i watched it knowing because i watched it fairly recently yeah i like, saw the reissue of that in the cinema and i took emma to go see it and it was very uncomfortable it is incredibly uncomfortable it's really weird mm. like when it was released i guess you know contemporary sensibilities or whatever when it was released it's like oh yeah that's it's, this is just a funny little like light-hearted movie yeah. lol <laughs> like... it's, a, it's, a, it's also a beautiful film that's very very funny yeah but then it's yeah. also oh well there you go that's our, that's that's our like, little conversation little yeah for another time yeah i feel like this is leading on to something else now but yeah, yeah. so just going back to blue and Salo, great films everyone should watch them <laughs> maybe no, you're not not you know, over the age of 80 Salo. possibly no. i don't know a lot of people don't need to see this movie whereas i think blue give it a go because you will not think Look, that you'll like this it. is this is what i will say about it both of these films are incredibly confrontational and they force yes. you to sit through something you don't want to think about and you don't want to see and but i think I... that's incredibly important because you know some of these things that are portrayed in the film in Salo. They're going on right now. They've been going on for God knows how long. And I wouldn't think about them, you know, I wouldn't take a moment out of my day to think about what's going on in some oppressive regime. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, it's like, okay, I do know what you that mean. film forces me to sit through it and be like, okay, holy shit. Yeah, okay, it's, it's bad. This is what humanity can do. And this is what it is doing. And I should know about that. I should know what it feels like. And I should you know i agree but it doesn't feel real to me it feels constructed in theatricals therefore i don't get that from it all right so i look forward to that all right and so until next time um, this has been i've never seen dot 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 in which we argue about exploitation cinema <laughs> and other cinema yeah thank you for joining me um uh if you liked what you heard i've got another podcast out there um nasty pals um which you can find where i talk through the entire video nasty list with my friend adam um so i'd recommend that and if you want to read my opinions on films, um, I run a blog, assortedopinions.home.blog, I think. I always forget what it actually is. You can put it in the description. Yes, assortedopinions.home.blog. Um, I think it good. Really. It is good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug it right now. I've been watching all the Studio Ghibli movies because they've been put on Netflix and I've been writing an essay about each one. Um, so you can read those. Yay nice movies that are not about sexual exploitation <laughs> <laughs>
quite different. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to say, I like My Neighbor Totoro more than My Neighbor Salo. <laughs> <laughs> Though that crossover would be controversial. My Neighbor Salo Totoro. <laughs> Do you even like films, Stephen? <laughs> yes. My Neighbor Totoro is a masterpiece. Shut up, Albert. <laughs> um, all right. So until next time, uh, we have been us, you have been you. Thank you for listening. Bye.